Thank you very much, Mr. Kennard. And I want to thank Catherine and Wayne Reynolds for making all these gatherings every year and bringing uh, people such as yourself from all over the world. You'll, uh, you'll uh, learn a lot in the next uh, three days. You'll make some good connections if you don't draw a tight circle around you and your newfound acquaintances. Um, keep meeting new people. Talk to people you disagree with and talk to people you don't know. And uh, you'll get much more out of the, this occasion. <clears throat> One of the problems that you have, uh, if I may address you personally, is that you've been too successful thus far in your life. And by that I mean that it's going to be pretty easy uh, for you to entertain all kinds of offers. And the offers are going to be quite prominent, quite promising, quite lucrative. And if you're not careful, you'll be drawn into a, a, a narrow environment that may persist into your 30s and 40s and 50s. And you have to be very careful about that, uh, that your very prominence does not attract the kind of profession or, or occupation that over-limits you and over-specializes you so you don't have time for a broader frame of reference like your civic endeavors along with your own occupational or professional endeavors. And it's, it's important to start out with a worldview. Now, you can start out with a worldview where your mind imprisons your brain. A young man came up to me a few days ago. I was at a book signing for my book, 17 Traditions. And he said, uh, he was about 20. And he said, I disagree with everything you've ever said. I said, well, uh, you're quite a thorough researcher, I told him. Uh, and, and, uh, and I said, uh, let's see, let's test that hypothesis. So I said, well, if you buy a car from General Motors and General Motors discovers after uh, it sold it to you, it has a sticking throttle problem. Do you think General Motors should be required to recall all those cars? And he said, yes. I said, well, that's good. You now agree with something that I stand for. So I gave him two other questions, uh, and he agreed with them. And I said, I wished I had said, but it was too busy. It was a union station. Uh, I, I wanted to say, don't go through life where you imprison your brain by your mind, by a very rigid ideological view of the world. And there are different ways to look at the world. I prefer to start at the macro level, that there are six and a half billion people in this world, and half of them live on a dollar or two dollars a day, that there are infectious diseases in this world where more people are dying from malaria and tuberculosis uh, now than 20, 30, 40 years ago, in spite of all the modern medical advances and capabilities, uh, that there is enormous environmental devastation in the world. There are too many autocracies, oligarchs, dictatorships, democracies that aren't really democracies. They're just democracies in, in form. Power is very concentrated. Even in this country, it's very concentrated. <clears throat> we have elections uh, around the world that are bought and sold, but there's, there's still elections. Uh, there's a huge amount of homelessness, uh, large, large amounts of uh, soil erosion, um, you name it. The world is in very, very serious trouble. And you have millions of kids dying every year from contaminated drinking water. And yet, if you array all of these problems, choose 10 or 15 of the worst injustices or deprivations in, in the world by your standards, and you ask yourself, do we have the wealth and technology and capability uh, to do something about them? And most of them, the answer is decidedly yes. 
And then the second question is, well, who, who are the most powerful actors in the world, on the globe? I think case can be made for global corporations. They really don't have a competing economic mode uh, challenging them anymore. And they can pit governments against one another. And they have trade agreements that subordinate uh, the power of governments compared to the power of transnational corporations. And they command a great deal of labor, technology, capital, political influence. And ask yourself, all these problems that you've listed on your pad, uh, do these large corporations fall into uh, which category? Uh, do they worsen the problems, like, say, the tobacco industry and the spread of cancer? Uh, do they demonstrate an indifference to the problem, like, uh, say, uh, spoilage in food stores in, uh, in the third world? 30% of the food is lost to rodents and fungus and insects. And cargo, for example, knows a lot about that. Doesn't seem to be doing much about it. And the third is, uh, are they improving or diminishing these injustices and problems? And that's a good way to evaluate the role of these large corporations and the extent to which they have subordinated civic values to commercial values. The supremacy of commercial values over civic values has led historically to a lot of bad things. Every major religion in the world has advised its adherents not to not to give too much power to the commercial classes because it, the commercial classes are so incredibly motivated and single-minded that they'll trample and co-opt or undermine civic values such as access to justice, uh, tolerance, uh, health, safety, respecting posterity, respecting the environment, uh, clean elections. Uh, there are many things in a society that cannot be for sale if we want to sustain a democracy. Government should not be for sale. Elections should not be for sale. Childhood should not be commercialized. It should not be for sale. Universities should not be for sale. So when you look at it that way, you want to ask yourself, you've got talents and skills, and you're going to be selling them. You may sell them in a nonprofit context, like an academic, academic environment. You may sell it in a profit context. You may sell it to the government agencies. Uh, the question is, who are you going to sell it to? And if you do sell it to uh, someone, is, is that someone going to control your discretionary hours after work because you're afraid of upsetting uh, the powers that be in your particular institution uh, from 9 to 6 on, on weekdays? So who are you going to sell it to? And it's important for you to start thinking about this right away because uh, as the predecessor mentioned, and he didn't quite put it that way, but when you come back to, say, a reunion of your uh, class, you're going to say in 30 years, you're going to say, gee, how come X was so smart and hasn't done much, and Y was just as smart and did a lot? The difference is character and personality. The ancient philosopher Heraclitus once said character is destiny, and I would add that personality is decisive. What really matters is your ability to be resilient, your, your ability uh, to constantly grow, your ability to be self-renewal, your ability to share your ego, your ability to always think of ways that, can, uh, that can, uh, the job can be done or your life can be conducted uh, differently. You know, Alfred North Whitehead uh, defined science in many ways. Uh, one way was quite memorable when he said, what distinguishes science is the inbuilt openness of options for revision. You have to keep open options uh, for revision. Now, you, you'll hear a lot of speeches in your life, and I've heard a lot of speeches in my life, and uh, I 
have certain yardsticks that I use. I say, is this person uh, engaged in the language of avoidance? Like you'd go to a traffic safety convention years and years ago, and no one would talk about the car. They all wanted to talk about the driver. They wouldn't talk about the highway engineering, just the driver. Uh, and uh, they would avoid uh, two very important factors in the human factors that are involved in uh, car collisions and injuries. There are always languages of avoidance. The second is where they command the yardsticks and drive you to discuss only those yardsticks. And manifestation of concentrated power, for example, defines violence in ways that uh, do not relate to their production of violence. Uh, the power structure's always done that. For example, years ago, uh, pollution would come out of uh, smokestacks. It would be called smoke or soot. And then it, it became pollution as environmental consciousness increased. And then we realized that pollution was a form of violence. Uh, it, it produces cancer and respiratory ailments and damages uh, property. And so as the reality of the phenomena is closer to its description, true description, people get more agitated about it. Uh, for example, in our country, we have defined as the worst kind of violence to throw tens of billions of dollars against is terrorism, 9-11. Uh, but it is interesting that although huge amounts of our government are, are dedicated uh, to that subject, there is very, very little dedicated to huge amounts of preventable violence, which by the government's own estimates are 58,000 work-related diseases, uh, fatalities, and traumas a year, 65,000 die from air pollution, almost 100,000 die from medical incompetence in, uh, in uh, hospitals, 18,000 people die in this country because they can't afford health care. We don't have universal health care. But these are not seriously defined as impermissible forms of violence that are preventable and that invite corrective activity with adequate resources and top-level government attention the way the terror phenomena, the stateless, I might add, terror phenomena is confronted. So whoever controls the yardsticks controls the agenda, controls what we discuss, controls what we do about things. When Chairman Alan Greenspan of the Federal Reserve used to go up to Congress every year on the state of the economy speech, he would almost invariably say the state of the economy is generally good. And then he would give the yardsticks of the vendor class, the yardsticks of the sellers. Profit, for example, well, one yardstick, sales, GDP, inventory levels, etc. But he would not give another set of yardsticks that would lead him to a different conclusion, that we have over 50 million people in this country living in dire poverty, another 50 million li living in a category known as near uh, poverty, that consumer credit is drowning families uh, in terms of debt that they can't get out of, that 13 million children go to bed hungry at night, that there are millions of families who uh, cannot afford adequate housing, etc. Now, if he had those yardsticks, you see, you'd come to a different uh, conclusion. So always ask yourself, who controls the yardsticks? And you've gone through that yourself with these multiple choice standardized tests, right? <laughs> a, B, C, D, none of the above, huh? Would you go to a multiple choice lawyer? Hmm? Um, uh, so watch out for, uh, for that. Now, let me just uh, list uh, in conclusion uh, some, uh, some suggestions. Uh, here. If you want to do the work of the world, I think you can conclude uh, that it is not going to be first and foremost done by multinationals, corporations. 
They may jump on board just the way the auto companies now build safety devices which are required by law when they resisted them all these years. But the frontiers are going to be driven by institutions representing civic values, representing popular, populist uh, values, whether it's trying to do something about infectious diseases or the environment or all the other uh, problems that you, you have uh, read about. And so that makes, uh, makes it into a, quite an interesting proposition for yourself. Are you going to sell your skills uh, to the civic arena, or are you going to do it in the commercial arena? If you do it in the commercial arena, are you going to try to inculcate civic values in the particular companies or institutions uh, that you are, are working uh, for? I think in conclusion, uh, you're living in a unique time in the sense there are a lot of billionaires around. More billionaires are created every month uh, because it's a paper economy. You know, most billionaires don't become billionaires because they produce things. They make money from money. So you might want to find yourself a progressive billionaire if you want to establish an institution that reflects your value systems, whether it's environmental or healthcare or engineering, public works, whatever. And they are around, but you have to really search for them. A group of young lawyers in 1970 found some rich people and started the Natural Resources Defense Council, NRDC, which now is a premier environmental group in the country with a $60 million uh, annual uh, budget. And then finally, I think what you want, may want to ask yourself is looking back when you're 65, 70, 75, what is it, 15,000 days till you're 65, a little over 2,000 weeks? Last week went quickly. You haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> um, uh, when you look back, what do you want to look back at what you established? Do you, would you regret, as some corporate lawyers we've interviewed years ago, uh, missing the justice wagon, the justice train? Uh, what do you want? Project yourself forward and then look back. Otherwise, you'll engage in drift. Drift is the enemy of creativity. Some may call it routine. Drift means that you may be getting good money for what you're doing, but you're drifting into areas of increasing regret as you go into your 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Thank you very much.